There we go. All right. Uh, good to see you guys. If you're right here in this room at Trace or if you're watching online, uh, so good to be with you and grateful uh, just to be able to gather here around the scriptures and see what God might have to say to each and every one of us. If you missed it, if you just walked in the door, uh, I'm Scott Jones. I'm a friend of your pastors, Aaron and Corey. We worked together in Arizona for a couple of years and uh, just been trying to get out here for a long, long time and uh, so grateful that this actually came together now. Uh, I belong to a family, and so I've been married to my wife, Donita, coming up in May for 27 years, and I got two growing up children, uh, Morgan and Noah, and so here's a picture of us at Christmas. So that's me, and I belong to that tribe right there. And uh, man, I just want to say uh, I am so jazzed to be here with you guys because I've been watching you, and uh, I've been watching you online. I've been hearing stories about you. I have friends that have moved out here just to be a part of this. And if you're brand new, like you walked in, you don't know any of this, you're a guest today, uh, I just want to say, and I don't have any uh, kind of pony in this race here, uh, this is a great place for you to be. Uh, for you to come, uh, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you're exploring faith or if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is a, a group of people that are sitting around you that are really invested in this community. They love you. They love God. They're committed to doing what is good and what is right. And uh, man, just, you should just come. And if you're uh, a part of this church and like, Trace is my home, I, I just need to tell you from the outside looking in, this isn't normal. What you are experiencing is not ordinary. The way that you have grown so quickly in the time that this church has been opened, uh, the, the reputation that you are garnering in the community for loving people and doing good, and just how everything is coming together, it's, it's really rather extraordinary. And this is a tribute to your leadership. It's a tribute to your personal investment and to the grace of God. And more than anything else, my hope for this church is that you'll never lose that. Because many people and many churches have lost that. They have lost the appeal that makes somebody outside of faith actually lean in and get interested in what you are doing in here long enough for them to take a step forward in following Jesus Christ. Because you can have appeal and then you can lose it. You know, I found this out very, very early on uh, in my marriage. When I first got married to my wife, I was like a superstar. I was really appealing. I was really something, okay? But about three weeks in, this all changed. Uh, <laughs> you know how that happens. Yeah, some of that happened to you as well, right? So we were leading a singles ministry in Texas, and uh, we brought them out here to Colorado in order to go snow skiing up in Breckenridge. And so we came out, and we got to the condo, we unloaded all of our stuff, and then we went to the grocery store in order to buy some groceries for the week that we would be there. And as we're walking down the aisle, I came across something that I hadn't seen since I left Florida, and it's this right here, frosty root beer. Have you ever seen this? Anybody here? Because I think it's only in certain places now in Florida, Colorado, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and Donita's like, what? I'm like, frosty root beer. She's like, so? I'm like, so? You're obviously uninformed, and if you're a beer drinker in here, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. This is almost as good as beer, okay? It's, it's really, really that good. And I'm like, I got to get some Frosty. Do you want some Frosty? And she's like, uh, nah, I'm not really in the mood for root beer. I'm like, I'm going to pause right here. You don't understand what you're, what you're passing up. You sure you don't want me to buy some? Because if you don't, I'm only going to buy enough for me. I don't want any root beer. Trust me. All right. So 
Got my root beer. We finished up. We got back to the condo. Everybody's kind of gathering. We're just having one of the, the nights where we just meet together and kind of hang out. I'm living large. I got an ice-cold bottle of Frosty, just enjoying life, you know. And then I look across the room, and I see something that kind of startles me because it's my new bride, and she's got something in her hand. I'm like, nah, couldn't be. No, there's no way. And the closer and closer that she gets, I realize, oh, yeah, there she is with one of my frosted root beers. <laughs> so she gets a little bit closer. We're about face to face. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm drinking a root beer. Oh, I know you're drinking a root beer. But you're drinking one of my root beers. And she says, well, we bought it with our money. And I was like, yeah, but I asked you... And you said, I'm not in the room for root beer. And, you know, you said, well, 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 I changed my mind. Now I am in the room. You can't change. You, you, no. I only bought enough for me. And then she looked around in the room, and there were some other people with Frosties. And she said, well, he's got a Frosty. She's got a Frosty. I'm like, well, I bought enough for me and for some other people, but I didn't buy enough for you. <laughs> and that's when I think she hit me in the head with a bottle of Frosty because everything went dark after that, you know. And that happens in all of life, you know. We can lose our appeal. And we have to figure out how to keep our appeal, especially when it comes to faith in Jesus. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So if you write stuff down, here's the title of the message, Lasting Appeal. And if you, uh, we're going to be in the scriptures today in Acts chapter 2 right here. And so if you've got a Bible with pages that turn or screen that scrolls, we're going to get here eventually. But first, I just want to show you kind of a phrase and just a little bit about why that mattered so much. But let's get on the same page when we talk about the word appeal. When we say that something has appeal, it means we're drawn to it, we're attracted to it. Everybody swipes right on something. We talk about a person having sex appeal. We talk about a house. Oh, I'm not going to buy that house unless it has good curb appeal. So are we all tracking? Yeah. So I'm going to put a handful of things on the screen. I'll go by them one by one. You raise your hand if this has appeal to you, okay? Hunting. All right, awesome. Outdoors. You're living in the right state. Uh, Black licorice. Yeah, love it or hate this one. Snow. Good for you. Olympic curling. Uh, There's a few lovers, mostly haters in the room all across the world, but that's a great thing. So you understand what we're talking about. Now, I'm going to show you one more, but no show of hands, okay? Here it is. Christianity. Now, that's a different idea because when those outside of faith those who are not engaged in, in Christianity, when they heard that word, they had a completely different reaction to it. No one swiping right, no appeal whatsoever. In fact, when people outside of faith were asked what they thought about when they heard the word Christian, here's what they said. Judgmental, too political, too focused on gaining converts, anti-homosexual, sheltered, and hypocritical. Wow. What's crazy is when you go back to the very beginning of this beautiful thing that Jesus created called the church, there was a completely different idea. There was mass appeal, a very different feeling. And if you look what Luke uh, wrote, who is the author of the book of Acts, he gives us kind of an idea of how those outside of the community of faith felt about those who were inside the community of faith. And basically at the end of Acts chapter 2, he says, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. So what happened? How did we lose our appeal? 
Well, it didn't happen overnight, and for many centuries, the way of Jesus had incredible appeal. A lot of people were drawn to it. A lot of people loved it, but then something happened in the fourth century that changed everything, and if you remember your history class from high school, you'll remember this name right here, Constantine the Great. Fourth century, Roman emperor. When he made Christianity the state religion, then all of a sudden Christianity found itself in the majority And then the once loving, sacrificing community of people that was the way of Jesus, they got pushed into the background, and all of a sudden those who were in power hijacked the faith, and they used it to conquer and to convert and to kill anybody who didn't agree with their theology. And these were dark days for the church. But there's always been moments of light. There have always been pockets of Christ followers, authentic Jesus followers like you who have been doing good. In fact, most of the caring for the poor, the caring for the sick, the, uh, the caring for the hurting, the formation of hospitals, things like that that happened over the centuries was catalyzed by the movement of Jesus. And even in American society, if you fast forward into the 20th century, you see an an America that is mostly positively shaped by the way, by the teaching, by the movement of Jesus Christ. But toward the end of the 20th century and well into the 21st century, something happened, and the Christian voice became so loud, so predominant, so overbearing that those who are outside of faith not only stopped listening, but they begin to form a pejorative opinion of those who call themselves Christian, and rightly so, and why many of us don't even use that label anymore. I don't want to call myself a Christian. I'll go with follower of Christ. I'll go with follower of Jesus, but that word has so much negative connotation, I want to disassociate myself from it. What? Soever. So we find ourselves in a completely different world. What kind of world are we living in now? James Emery White is an author who wrote a fascinating book called Meet Generation Z. And in this book, amongst other things, he talks about the ramifications of faith losing its appeal. And just so you understand where I'm going to be coming from, you remember the last time you filled out a form and they asked you what religion you were? And you'd say Protestant or Catholic or Muslim or whatever the case might be. But there's also that box down there that says none. You you remember this, okay? None. Okay, so these are people who call themselves nuns, all right? So in this book, this is the data that's coming out right now. The percentage of Americans claiming no religious identity or none, okay? In the 40s, it was 5%. 1998, 98%. 2008, 15%. 2012, 19%. 2014, 23%. You see what's happening here? 2018, it's in upwards of 25%. Because those who once associated with faith of any kind, but especially now with Christianity, are increasingly moving away from it because it has lost its lasting appeal. So I'm going to just close in prayer right now, and we're going to go home depressed, okay? I mean, we, there's a part of that, like, yeah, I came to church for something inspiring. You know, yeah, this is the reality. This is the dark side. This is the bad news of where we find ourselves. Now, we can be stuck here, or we can find a way forward. But in order to go forward, you have to go all the way back to the founder of this thing called the church, and that's Jesus. Because Jesus gathered his followers one day, and he made this declaration. He said, I will build my church, and the power of hell 
will not conquer it. And this is a statement of hope. But it's not hope that we're going to survive because the church has never been about self-preservation. It's always been about self-sacrifice. But what it is, it is a reminder that Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. He's always at work. And nothing will stop him from working in and through a community of people like this who will put aside their agendas, who will lay their lives down, who will move into a community in the power of the Holy Spirit and reveal a Jesus who loves this community, who died for them, who rose again and is now offering them life. This is our way forward. And what's interesting is that even though the church, universal, may have lost its appeal, Jesus hasn't lost his appeal. If you read the scriptures, you'll be hard-pressed to find any encounter where anybody had an experience with Jesus where they walked away mad or angry or frustrated with him, unless it was a religious leader who was trying to control him. Why was that? Why is that? What gave Jesus such strong appeal? John, one of his early followers, who was a a biographer of Jesus, uh, revealed it this way. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That's the idea this church was founded on. This is what compels and empowers this community of people to move outside of these walls and reveal a Jesus that people haven't really experienced in a long, long time. The Word became flesh. This beautiful balance of having conviction, which you have to have, but treating people with kindness is what we have to get back to. And so at Trace, whenever there's a message, there's always a one thing. And here's kind of the one thing. Grace and truth, these things put together is our only hope for lasting appeal. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. And if you go back to Acts 2, this is what drove them. This is what allowed them to be who they were, to do what they did, and to have the kind of influence in the community that they had that we are longing for, that we are praying for. And here's what the writer Luke said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to the poor, to those who had need. All right, there we go. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And here's that phrase again, enjoying the favor of all the people. There's something extraordinary going on here. And this is what we have to get back to. They were devoted, and as we are devoted the way they were devoted, truly devoted, when we invest ourselves deeply in every single way that we possibly can, into the message of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, things will change. We, we will see people's lives changed right here. We'll see people's lives changed out there. We're going to see people overcome addictions. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see racial reconciliation. We're going to see people expressing love in a way that it has never been expressed before. And people are going to stand back and they're going to marvel. Because there's nothing that is keeping this community from being that community that we are reading about right here. 
And this early church lived with a unity and a harmony that nobody had really ever seen before. They hadn't seen this kind of a thing. The love they had for God, the love they had for one another, the love they had for those outside of faith was so compelling and so extraordinary. People were drawn in. They, they, they wanted to see what was going on there. It had incredible appeal. And they lived with an amazing power. And I don't know if we know what that actually means. But we've seen power. We've seen the abuse of power. This is not the power that this early church lived with. And I love the way Martin Luther King Jr. puts it. He says, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Love and power, like grace and truth, go hand in hand in the name of Jesus. This is what we're after. So real quick, let me just give you um, kind of three things that uh, if we would embrace, I believe it can move us back. It can allow us to keep or to recapture uh, what we are calling lasting appeal. Okay? Uh, Number one, uh, start with humanity instead of Christianity. Uh, This is what the early church did. The early church saw people the way that Jesus saw people. They didn't see uh, race. They didn't see religion. They didn't see gender. They didn't see any of that. They just saw people as human. And I don't know if this is true about you, but I, I know this is, this is often true about me, but let me just ask you this question. Do you think this is true about you? There's a question coming up right here. There you go. The way we see people is the way we treat people. You think that's true about you? Because if I look at you like, oh, you're black. Okay, that, if, that's, if that's my label I'm going to give you, that's going to, oh, yeah, you're gay. Oh, oh, you're, you're the then that's going to change things. But if I look at you, and if we look at other people and say, I want to leave a trace of God's love for you, that's going to change everything. Then I'm going to be compelled to move into your life and treat you with value and dignity because you are human. You are created in the image of God. And Jesus was an absolute master at this. When he was traveling with his disciples one day, He came across a guy by the name of Matthew who was a tax collector and in the Jewish culture was the lowest of the lows. And Jesus walked by him and said, Matthew, follow me. Follow me? This was a shock to everybody else. It's like, do you know who this guy is? Do you know what he does? Do you know how he treats people? Yeah, he knew. He didn't judge him. He didn't shame him for his occupation. Because Jesus' strategy for seeing somebody's life transformed was to first and foremost see them as a human being, to invite them into his space. I'm sure that Peter and some of the other disciples said, wait, whoa, 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 time out. Follow us? He can't get in here. He's a sinner. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've had that judgment. And for us, the invitation is to focus more on the conversation than on the conversion, more on the relationship than being right. Because being right has no appeal to anybody outside the church or inside the church. Show of hands, anybody ever been around a person who always has to be right? Okay, no matter what you say, they're like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I noticed not everybody didn't raise their hand. And, and if you don't know that person, it's probably you. So just kind of check that, you know. It might be true. I don't know. 
But here's what I do know. Grace and truth is our only hope for a lasting appeal. We've got to have this in spades. Uh, Number two, invite people to belong before they believe. We often reverse that. Well, when you get everything lined up and you believe what I believe, then you can come in. No, no, no. This is not the way of Jesus. But there's always been a temptation for those of us on the inside to keep people from the outside from getting in. Because we want to keep our tribe pure. You know, whoa, we don't want to get that person in. You know, they, they believe this and they're living this kind of a lifestyle. We're like, keep them out, let them get all cleaned up, then they can come back in. This is always a temptation because we want to make sure everybody is lined up and it's easier to focus on rules than it is relationship because then I can just run you through my grid. Check, check, oops, 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 oops. Okay, you don't check off enough boxes and you're out. And though we would never say this, we wouldn't use these words, the way a person feels is this. If you fit in, you can come in. Clean it up. Believe all the right stuff, then you can come to my church. No, no, no. This has never been the way of Jesus. Anybody know the name of the disciple that betrayed Jesus? Just shout it out. Judas, yeah. You don't even have to be a church person to know that. It's kind of made its way into society, which is why nobody's kind of sitting around right now. You know, they're pregnant. We're like, hey, we're thinking about baby names. You were like, right now we're settled between Jim and Judas. No, it doesn't. Nobody's doing that. Like, Judas, we all know that means betrayer. Nobody wants to be around Jesus, uh, Judas. But here's a crazy thing. The night Jesus was betrayed, he shared a final meal with his followers. And while they were eating, he drops a bomb. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And no one said, I bet it's Judas. No one. Because Jesus treated Judas just like he treated John. He treated him as a human being. He allowed him to belong even though he knew he didn't believe. I just want to invite him in. One of the bright lights in the history of the Jesus movement was the 4th century, a guy by the name of St. Patrick. And many of you have heard of him. Some of you know him as the patron uh, saint of Ireland. Others, as um, you just know him right here, next, as a reason to party on March 17th. You're like, oh, he was actually a saint? No, I thought that was this thing coming up here in a few weeks. No, no, no. But incredible thing, a way that uh, God worked in him. He planted, check this out, 700 churches. He, I'll just keep telling you, he planted 700 churches. He, uh, yeah, he ordained 1,000 priests. One-third of the tribes, 150 tribes in Ireland, actually came to faith. Like, what? How did he do it? For the most part, they just had neighboring groups kind of move around a tribe, and this neighboring group kind of gathered around where this tribe was, and they just invited people to come and to belong, to be with them. They broke bread together, kind of like we, we're going to do here later. Uh, they, they talked about Jesus like we're doing right now. Uh, they, they, uh, they had fellowship together. They, they cared for the poor. They joined together with that tribe, and this neighboring group joined together to care for the poor in the community, mostly just conversations about Jesus. And eventually, somebody from the tribe would be so compelled by what was happening in that neighboring environment, they would say, I'm in. I don't really, 
I'm so drawn. This is so appealing. What else do I need to do? And then they understood the truth about Jesus because they had been entered into this grace community and everything changed. You see, people weren't just taught the faith. They caught the faith. This is what you guys are after. Trace Church, this church is committed to this. This is why you do the things that you do. You're committed to cultivating environments where people can come into a space like this, sing songs to God. I might not even believe those words yet, but I'm just here. I'm being a part of this community. They can listen to the teaching of God's word. I might not buy into that yet, but they can be drawn into it. They might be in some of your trace kids' environments or some of your student environments, or they might be invited into a neighboring group just to belong, to get exposure to you and to what God is doing in you and through you in hopes that one day somebody's going to be in one of those spaces and they're going to go, I'm in. I am so compelled by who you are. I want to be one of you because you invited somebody to belong before you forced them to believe. And, and I just want to say to those of you who are explorers, you're not a Christian, you're outside of faith, you came here for whatever reason, awesome, we're so glad you're here. This church was started, really, for you to come and to figure all this stuff out. But I want to challenge you to hold in tension this beautiful thing called grace and truth, because it's easy for you to grab a hold of grace and say, I love that grace part, no condemnation, no judgment, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to change, I can just jump in, I can just belong, but I don't want to deal with me. And that's a temptation for everybody. I don't want to hear the truth about me. I don't want to know that I'm a sinner. I don't want to know that I'm broken. I don't want to know that God wants to do something inside of me. I want to be left alone. You can't do that. You've got to hold these in balance. You can't take grace without truth. Truth is important, even though we don't want to embrace it sometimes. I, I remember uh, a number of years ago, I went down to the Florida Keys with my family, and we were snorkeling. And uh, so it was day one, and I was out snorkeling, and I saw this beautiful spotted uh, stingray. It looks like this right here. And I'm like, oh, that is awesome. I'm like, I want to pet that. Which is really not, I don't know why I went with my first impulse, but I did. And so I went over there and I just, I just stroked my hand across its back. And it flipped its tail up and jabbed its barb right into my hand. Immediately, it just shot its venom or poison or whatever right into my nervous system. And I, I just blacked out. Fortunately, my brother-in-law was right over here. He grabbed me. Uh, kind of rescued me, brought me into the boat, kind of brought me to, and then the pain. Oh, my gosh. My hand was throbbing. I've never felt anything so painful. I'm crying. I'm screaming, kind of, like a man would do it. And then, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying, guys. And, and then uh, my brother-in-law, who's from South Carolina, who speaks with this great southern drawl, he said, uh, I heard that if you pee on that, it'll feel better. <laughs> you want me to pee on it? And I was like, Oh, just for a moment, I'm like, oh, this hurts so bad. Would that actually work? Is that true? And, but I'm like, no, not this time, you know. So I suffered all the way to the hospital because I didn't really want to embrace what might be true. And maybe you're there. Maybe you've been there. And back to those who are exploring faith, if you're going to be honest, if you're going to have a true, honest journey in faith, you've got to embrace the truth as well as embracing the grace. Uh, number three, uh, this is huge. Hold the truth, but lead 
with grace. Hold the truth, but lead with grace. And I just want to show you a verse. This is a very popular verse for anybody who's been around the church for a while. Ephesians 2.8. Uh, for it is by, say that with me, grace you have been saved. And I find it ironic that those of us who have been saved by faith, most of the time we want to lead with truth. Maybe because it's easier. Maybe because it seems right. Maybe because it's less messy. But Jesus was the truth, but he led with grace. There was a woman one day who was caught in the very act of adultery, who was brought to Jesus by some religious leaders, not because they cared about the truth, but because they wanted to trap him. And the reality was she was guilty. The law called for stoning. Truth called for consequences. And Jesus was the only one without sin. He could have stoned her. He, he was the only one that had the right. He could have kind of pulled, pulled out, out of his mind, uh, do you know that the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery? He could have done that, but he didn't. Completely different approach. He said, I don't condemn you. That's grace. Leave your life of sin. That's the truth. And I know this idea of leading with grace and putting truth kind of on the back burner for a moment uh, stirs something up in every single one of us at some level because there are so many reasons. You can think of so many instances where this doesn't work, right? Well, you don't know my ex, okay? Or there's this guy that I did a business deal that went south with. Or I have this friend who betrayed me. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And, and I get it. It will be messy, and you will be judged because you're going to be seen as somebody who's, uh, who's soft on the truth or you're overly tolerant, like, oh, you're one of those. Yeah, not a true Christian. I, I love what uh, Pastor Tim Keller said. He said, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. That's really a good test. And honestly, anyone who's on the side of truth is going to be a gracious person because in Jesus, grace and truth, they go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Now, I've not gotten this for many, many years. And when I was early on in my faith, I didn't get it at all. I was the only one in my family who was a Christian. And I went to church on a Wednesday night. If you can ever remember that, anybody who's that old. And uh, they had a traveling evangelist come in. If you don't know what that is, that's the guy the pastor brings in to say something to the church that he's too afraid to say. So uh, he, he was there. And basically his message was, if you don't go home and warn your family about the coming judgment, their blood is going to be on your hands. I'm like, I'm a teenager. You know, I'm like, I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. So, you know, I went home loaded up with truth. And so I walk into the house and uh, my, the way our, our, our house was set up, my four sisters and my mother were sitting around the dining table that was kind of here in this area. And then over here, uh, was my father. He was sitting in his chair in the living room, and these two rooms were separated by a sliding glass door that was open at the time, okay? So that's kind of the setting. So I kind of walk into the house and said, guys, just came from church, and uh, you're all going to hell. I mean, pretty much like that, and my sister, who's the more vocal, says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying mom's going to hell and dad's going to hell just because they don't believe what you believe? I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me back up. You're all going to hell. 
Okay, let's be inclusive here. And, and uh, it was honestly, it was about that tactful. And uh, it wasn't my finest hour. And I'll never remember this. I'll never forget this, uh, actually. <laughs> Tried not to remember it. Uh, but my dad got up from his chair. He walked over to the sliding glass door. And he just shut it right in my face. And that was a metaphor because it was his way of saying, I'm closing the door to whatever it is you have to say. Because I didn't lead with grace. I led with truth. Now, several years later, my sister, little sister, came to faith. And many years after that, uh, she led my dad to Jesus, which is really, really cool. But I like to say I planted the seed. (laughs) So maybe, just maybe, just in summary, if we start with humanity instead of Christianity, if we invite people to belong before they believe, and if we hold to truth but lead with grace, maybe we'll see more of what happened as a result of everything the early church did that's revealed in Acts chapter 2. And Luke says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I know that's your heart. And I just want to tell you why this matters so much to me right now, why this conversation is so important. Because my daughter, Morgan, that I showed you in a picture uh, a little bit earlier, she came home two Christmases ago. She's uh, currently a uh, graduating senior at Northern Arizona University. But she came home two Christmases ago, and she said, uh, Hey, Mom and Dad, I need to tell you something. I don't believe in God anymore. And that hit us like a ton of bricks. We've had pain in our life. Uh, We've lost two children in miscarriage. Uh, we've lost jobs, we've lost parents, uh, we've, we've lost friends, uh, we've had marriage difficulty, we've had all kinds of things, but nothing hit us to our core like this. And, and I think I can honestly say we raised our daughter Morgan in an environment of grace, but she still chose to walk away from the truth. And the story isn't over, and Uh, I'm giving her books, and she's reading some of them, and she's really smart, and she'll go, Dad, that one didn't have a really good argument. Dang it. But I keep trying, and we keep praying, and we keep trying to cultivate an environment where we're going to take this off the table, that one thing my daughter will never be able to say is I didn't come back to faith because my parents never led with grace. And I don't know where you're living but maybe you got a daughter like that or a son like that or a sister like that or a good friend like that or a mom or a dad like that. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And I don't have all the answers. And th- there are days when I get up where I don't think I have any answers. But I do believe this, that if we would continue to invest ourselves in the words of Jesus and the way of Jesus... Maybe that person that we love so much who said, I'm done or I'm never coming would find themselves saying, I'm in. But I can pretty much guarantee we'll never get there until we understand this. Grace and truth is our only hope for a lasting appeal. So let's pray together. God, thanks for uh, your grace. Thanks that you... Uh, lavished us with it in Jesus. 
And thanks that in beautiful balance, you revealed the truth to us that we needed you, that it wasn't intuitive and we weren't going to find our way to you. And there's nothing that we could do to earn our way, that it's all about your grace inviting us to embrace the truth about ourselves and about you, that it would allow us to discover the beauty that we find in Jesus. And for somebody who's listening to this, maybe watching online or who, uh, who's made their way into this space right here, who doesn't have faith, who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that this opportunity to kind of look in from the outside would bring them to a place where they wouldn't focus on other people, but they would focus exclusively on you and that, Jesus, you would be so appealing and compelling to them that they would take a step towards you and they themselves would say, I'm in. This is our hope. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.